We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I'm Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife Parks. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. We are so happy to have you with us. Fall, we've been talking about it the last couple episodes, but... I just can't get over how excited I am that fall is here. Uh, the leaves are finally turning. Um, and this weekend, holy moly, 80s to 30s here in Iowa. We had everything in between. Tana, how's Kansas? The wind's going yet? Is Dorothy flown by? <laughs> yeah, I saw Toto just kind of scurrying down the street with all the leaves <laughs> as they blew past. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a lovely weekend. Part of it is a little bit weird and off-putting, though, because it's like we are getting into late October. Like, it, there should be a little nip in the air, a little chill. So I'm starting to get anxious about that because I think I'm ready for that cooler weather to move through. But that being said, it was gorgeous. Um, we celebrated our first wedding anniversary this weekend so that was a lot of fun and um we spent our anniversary processing deer and so we ground up a bunch of venison and got a bunch of burger meat and i say we it was really mainly my husband i didn't help very much but i was the designated sampler so that was my weekend what about you julia oh you know what we had a beautiful weekend in fact i was kind of down into Tana's area, kinda. We were at the Kansas City Chiefs football game. And so that was fun for the family, a different outdoor experience. Uh, but the weather was beautiful. And as you speak unusual, uh, somebody that was tailgating right next to us, like they were explaining to this other person next to them, like this is not typical Kansas City weather. <laughs> Like she, and the girl's like, really? What, what do you mean? She's like, usually it's like, you know, 30 and below and sleeting for this late October game. And um, I think the other person that was with them is from farther south. Like, I think I heard Texas. So, yeah, they were um, they were very shocked that we were loving this weather with T-shirts yesterday as we were tailgating. Julia, did you see Taylor Swift? I did not see her. I mean, we were high enough that we probably could have because we were like our heads were about bumping on the uh, up there. But no, it's it's OK. We were there for the guys and and not. Her. So a rom- romantical weekend processing deer and a chief's win and pretty much sums it up. We uh we worked on the cabin and didn't blow away, so that was pretty exciting. But it actually might start looking like a cabin and not just a abandoned 1890s shed. So that's exciting. So, um, But in Iowa, we had a huge weekend this weekend, and I am so excited. One of my esteemed colleagues is on the mic with us today, and I'm so excited to have Rose Danaher on the mic with us. And Rose, will you take a a minute, introduce yourself, kind of give a little background to our listeners. You bet. Yeah, I'm Rose Danaher. I am an outdoor skills specialist with Iowa DNR. Um, Iowa native, grew up here, 
known locally as the crazy bird dog lady. Um, I've got a house full of bird dogs, mostly short hairs, but I do have a setter right now too. Um, and that's kind of my biggest passion is following those dogs around the Midwest. So that's me. And Rose, this weekend, we had a huge event and you were, you were front and center of it doing all the planning. Can you give a little insight to our listeners as to what kept you busy and maybe why you sound a little tired? Yeah, <laughs> Monday morning. Um, we had a Beyond Bow Decorah on the Fly women's fly fishing camp up in Decorah, Iowa, which is in the Driftless area, which is an unglaciated uh, area of the state where we have um, cool water springs, cold water springs, and there's some really good trout fishing up there. So we sent um, a dozen ladies up to stay in some really nice lodges and spend a few days on the water. Um, they got to fish with mentors. They got to do a little downtown business tour with the Decora Chamber, which was amazing. So they visited um, a local business that makes backpacks and fanny packs, a local outdoor clothing store, and then the brand new fly shop in town and um, had snacks and drinks at each stop and then um, headed back for a campfire that night. So it was a really special weekend. I think everybody had a good time and we couldn't have bought the weather. It was absolutely perfect. And just a huge shout out to all those mentors that gave their time and energy and sometimes blood, sweat and tears to to pass, pass on their passion and their interest to our ladies. Um, Rose, thanks, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, you bet. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to um, great to have you, Rose. Will you explain to us? We always have our guests kind of introduce themselves as far as how did you get into the outdoors? Uh, did you grow up in the outdoors? Did you become an outdoor enthusiast, like uh, as an adult, like Rachel, Tana, myself? And what kind of head you into this direction as a as an outdoor education specialist? Yeah, um, it's a it's a long, slow ramp up into the outdoor world. I was the fifth of six kids, um, all boys, except for me. Um, and so by the time I came around, it was sports, sports, sports and not much time in the outdoors. So I remember kind of taking note of things outside birds when I was horseback riding or whatnot, but I really didn't get to hunt fish or creek stomp or any of those things that maybe you expect in rural Iowa. Um, in college, I was working at a racehorse farm. This is going to seem like a crazy story, but I'll come back to it. And um, doing an internship outside of Chicago. And the farm got into some legal trouble and I bailed, went back to Iowa State. And I was kind of late to the game and securing a summer job. So the only thing left were the ones that didn't look very fun, right? And the local county conservation board had a job with the integrated roadside vegetation management crew spraying weeds i took it um little did i know that that would be my introduction into wildlife habitat management um our county conservation board system which is really special here in iowa uh, the outdoors all kinds of things i had this amazing boss that really believed that he was kind of raising the next generation of conservationists. And he made sure that I got exposed to absolutely everything. And the one moment that really stands out to me is he took me duck hunting and I didn't carry a firearm. I was just sitting in the boat watching and we didn't see much that day, but I got out of the boat to help pick up decoys. And he said, stop, stop, get down, get down. 
and a whole flock of mallards landed in the decoys with me. And I was kind of interested in birding, had been watching birds, but I had never seen the colors and the birds so close. And I'll never forget that day because I thought, wow, that's what hunting's about. You get to see, you know, these magical animals up close. Um, so that triggered something in me and I kind of course corrected on my life and uh, ended up here. <laughs> That's so funny that you say that. That's always been my experience duck hunting too. It's like there'll be no birds, no birds. And then the second you get up to start picking up decoys or doing something, that's when they all show up. So that's definitely yeah. a relatable experience you had there, Rose. Um, so I'm curious, you know, once you kind of had that pivotal moment, did you, how did you like morph that into a career? Was it a lot of on the job learning as you went? Did you go back to school for a specific degree? Yeah, I was already going to school for animal science and animal ecology. So I was kind of on that track a little bit. I really wanted to go to vet school and at some point realized that I wasn't going to be able to hack um, eight plus years <laughs> in the system. So um, that job with the County Conservation Board really taught me just about everything you need to know to get started. Um, I jumped around through a few other temporary jobs like most people in our field do. I worked on a brush crew um, cutting trees for about a year and um, then ended up in the water quality world doing habitat work with private landowners. Very cool, interesting story. And this, like how you dabbled into something that you ha didn't have a clue that that was going to be your interest in, in moving forward. So, you know, I had kind of a similar situation there. So I'm really excited that you shared that and pass the mic off to you, Rachel. Yeah, I, I, I go back to this thought of like, I'm going to pull weeds for the summer, like what and then to have your eyes open like it, it's such a cool kind of story probably one of the better ones that we've heard on on the mic and but I can't imagine you graduate and you're like oh outdoor skills specialist that's what I want to do because I think Iowa is probably the only state with that actual job title so what what does that job do what what is your day-to-day -day? tell our listeners a little bit Sometimes I wonder the same thing because we have such a broad job description. We spend a lot of time training the trainer. So helping um, train and mentor our hunter ed teachers, our um, teachers in the schools that get outdoor programming to the kids, um, shotgun coach training, archery in the schools training. So our job really is to help connect people with the resources they need to get others outdoors. Uh, so I would say that is the gist of it. Um, in addition to that, we do a lot of learn to hunt classes like this weekend's um, Beyond Bow, learn to fly fish class, things like that. So for me, um, no, I didn't think this is what I'd ever be, be doing. I actually saw the job description and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe they pay people to do that. I wasn't looking for a job, but I, thought, well, we'll give it a shot. And I couldn't be happier. This is a really special place to be. And, um, you know, lets me do the things that I was volunteering for um, during the day as well. So I'm happy to happy to be here. Definitely recognize that you're, you know, I'm going to say you're new in the position because you say you started in March. And while that may not seem new to you, those of us that have been in our positions for like 
15, 16 years. That's it's definitely new, and that's awesome. Because um, we always love those, that fresh mindset, those fresh ideas to come in. Still new in that position. And you have a, it seems like this, your job is kind of a large scope, right? But do you have an area that you are particular focused in? Or, you know, is there an area that you're wanting to develop that you kind of just want to take it, take it on your own and, and build that? Yeah, you bet. The whole reason that I really, really got into hunting was because somebody gave me a bird dog. Um, and I really had to figure out on my own how to put that dog to work. And um, I didn't have a mentor to get into the uplands. So my interest, I guess, really lies in providing opportunities for other women to learn um, about the outdoors and about the uplands and get involved in it in whatever capacity they want. So we're working on some women's outdoor programming uh, that will help folks that are interested in upland hunting, learn more about how, how to work dogs in the field, maybe some field safety and stuff like that. That'll be coming next year. And so I'm really excited uh, that we'll be able to provide those opportunities to people who are interested. It's cool to hear you say that about the dogs too, because we've seen even amongst this group and in the Midwest shared it amongst ourselves, some studies that show like quantify the R3 recruitment, retention, reactivation potential of a dog and how that can really get people outdoors, motivate them to get into these activities like hunting. So it's cool to see that um, how that's played out in your own life personally. We see that over and over again, um, people maybe have a dog and they don't know what the first step is to get out there, but that is such a motivating factor. If without the dog, I don't think I would have put in the work uh, to figure it all out on my own, but knowing that um, he was dependent on me to get him out doing what he was bred to do was pretty important. And so eventually we made it. That's so fun. What's your dog's name? I know you said that you have a couple. Yeah, that was Brady. Um, he's gone, unfortunately, but I also have... Four short hairs, uh, Sawyer, Emmy, Bonnie, and then recently added a puppy named Haley. Her name, because I used the hail insurance check for the siding on my house to buy her. So um, that was a little unexpected, <laughs> but she comes home at the end of the month. So pretty excited to add one. And then I, the time I'm fostering a setter and her name is Harper. Oh, how fun. Full house. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So you know, you and your dogs go on these wonderful adventures. Um, and I know that Iowa has all sorts of awesome opportunities. And you guys said that you travel throughout the Midwest, not even just within Iowa. So, you know, do you have a favorite outdoor activity or a species that you like to hunt? Like what is your bread and butter? In Iowa, we're blessed to have world-class pheasant hunting. And I know everybody thinks about South Dakota. Um, South Dakota is wonderful, but Iowa's got some pretty good hunting right here in our backyard. So that's our number one because of the, um, because it's so close. I can literally go out my back door and in two or three minutes be in a field and have the dogs working for me. Close second, I would say that I think my heart is in the Northwoods. So shout out to Wisconsin. We go up there quite a bit to hunt rough grouse and woodcock. But if I had to pick a second favorite, I think my soul is in the sand hills in Nebraska. So shout out, Julia. We love hunting Nebraska. Um, I go out there every year. And even when the bird numbers are low, I still make the drive because that landscape is stunning. That was a conversation we were just having right before this meeting. Um, our team here in Nebraska, we get together. We have we call them our 9 a.m. coffees. And two of my coworkers were out there this weekend and they were just talking about the I think the comment was made 
the the western Nebraska is on fire. Well, you know, we've had been having so many wildfires. I'm like, what, what, wait, wait. And then I got to realize, no, really, it was like on fire because of the beautiful yellows and reds and the trees and and the the both upland and the waterfowl opportunities are just awesome. Kansas is on my list too, so don't don't feel bad. <laughs> Yeah, Rose, we would love to have you and show you that Kansas is, you know, can compete with Nebraska and Iowa. We've got what it takes. So you come out anytime. Okay. That sounds great. So Rose, you mentioned that you got into hunting kind of because you got a dog and, and you had a little bit of mentorship, but what, what was that drive? I mean, it sounds like for the most part, you're kind of fairly self-taught or asked for help. Like what was your path? Because to go from, I have this dog to now I'm traveling to Wisconsin, Nebraska, wherever with multiple dogs is certainly a progression within your, um, within your experience and your knowledge. So what was that path like? Yeah. Um, so my first introduction to hunting was, um, the, waterfowl hunt that I just tagged along on. And then uh, my boss actually handed me a firearm and his dog and told me to go shoot a pheasant on our um, property right behind our shop one day. And I I was too stubborn and um, full of myself to tell him I didn't know how to load the gun. I went for a walk with the shells in my pocket and told him I didn't see any birds. <laughs> so I got back and he said, well, there's birds out there. And then the next day, he sent me out with his dog, Bell, and a handful of shells and the firearm and said, go shoot a bird. And I still didn't know how to load the gun, but I wasn't going to tell him that. So I think that's the result of growing up with five brothers, um, just being a little too stubborn for my own good. So I Googled it. And the next time that he asked me, I, this is not how you should learn, by the way. <laughs> this is probably why I care so much about mentorship. But um, I Googled how to load the gun and I shot a round bale of hay and came back and told him that I saw a bird and I sh shot at it. And, um, he kind of left it, al it alone at that point, but I had no idea what I was doing. So luckily I was able to participate in a mentored hunt that some folks put on over in Illinois. And that kind of gave me a little enough confidence to think, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I can do this on my own. And then it was probably a year after that, that one of our park rangers gave me his dog. The dog kept getting loose at the park and terrorizing park visitors since our rangers live in the parks. And so he needed a new home. And I took Brady home and realized that his passion was birds. And I didn't know the first thing about upland hunting. I bought some pigeons and started working with him and did everything wrong. All the things they say not to do with a bird dog. I let that dog catch birds. I didn't know what I was doing, but he turned out pretty good. Even then, I think that work maybe had been done before I came along and he just became the dog of a lifetime. I took him everywhere. He went to work meetings. He went out on the kayaks on the river. Um, he became kind of a mascot. Everybody knew it was Rose and Brady that were coming to events. And every year I learned something new. Every hunt, I learned something new. Um, but we, we did it pretty much on our own, um, figuring it out. I remember when the first bird fell out of the sky, I couldn't believe that I actually hit one. It was like the total surprise that it, it worked. Dog <laughs> pointed a bird and then I got it. And that was pretty special. So eventually I added another dog. Um, and then, I don't know, it snowballed. Now I've got... I say the perfect amount, but it sure seems like a lot to everybody else. So your story, Rose, is honestly 
why we have the BOW program. It's that empowering women, you know, women empowering each other. And uh, the BOW is set up to create that non-intimidating situation. Because we have so many like yourself that have been, I don't, I don't want to be taunted, or they just don't feel comfortable hunting with, because they, the brothers, or even dad, or their husband. But when we create these, this comfortable environment and become an outdoor woman, mentored or a whole weekend that is when they they connect and they're like you know what i feel comfortable learning from you we've all been in those shoes we've all in like just not know really honestly how to load the shotgun i mean that mm -hmm. can be an intim it is intimidating i was that way just last weekend uh at a pheasant hunt that we were at i had a new shotgun in my hand i wanted to try it i was like uh, i don't know and i mean you get so nervous that you might even start putting the shell in backwards. I've seen women do that and you just make them comfortable. You show them how to do it and you give them a pat on the back, whether they missed or they hit it. So um, I'm really glad that you, you brought that story up. It's funny. I, I don't like to admit this, um, but I joined our Pheasants Forever chapter in college because I saw how much habitat work they were doing and they would shoot trap at every meeting and I didn't shoot with them once because I just didn't have the nerve to do it. I was so uncomfortable shooting in front of all the guys. And um, so you're right. Yeah. Absolutely, these women's events really make a difference. In fact, this weekend I saw, after our fly fishing event, a Facebook post from somebody who was a participant in our event and she um, has worked in the outdoor industry quite a bit. And she sa said how impressed she was that it didn't matter what brands you were wearing, what whether you had muck boots or I'm going to say rubber boots and or high-end waders everybody was on the same level they were just out to build relationships build skills and have a good time and that's so important for it not to be this big intimidating thing and fly fishing along with upland hunting can be really intimidating um, but the truth is if you have basic equipment and go out there you can learn and you can be successful. You don't need to know it all. Um, some of the gals that hunt with me early on, they maybe don't want to carry a firearm in the field. And I often ask them just to carry an empty one um, and watch the guns work or watch the dogs work just to um, get comfortable carrying. And that seems to you know reduce the anxiety and the barrier to entry. Um, and all of those gals so far, eventually they put a shell in and shoot a bird. I really like that idea. And I'm reflecting back on this hunt that we just did a couple weeks ago. Uh, we do some practice, like practicing holding the shotgun. They kind of had them walk through a course, but it was on a flat field. Hard to really explain if you've not been in a field where upland truly are, have a habitat that it's kind of rough areas. On top of walking in that rough grass, that thick bunched up grass, then you're also watching the dogs. So I, <laughs> I'm guilty of that yourself. So we had a one-on-one -on -one mentor where, you know, they, they were loaded, they were walking through, and this was when we were on the true hunt. But you, you find yourself as a mentor kindly reminding that the new hunter keep both hands on the shotgun. Is it on safe? And then meantime, you know, they're trying to watch both pointers going back and forth, kind of that squirrel moment, squirrel, 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 shotgun, you know, pointer, pointer, pointer. And then you just like, it, it's a lot. But, you know, I like that idea that you said you have them walk through the field with the dogs 
unloaded first. Then after you're comfortable walking with that, put that, that shell in. That's, you've touched on this a little bit, but what are some other options in for upland game hunting in Iowa? Pheasants are king here. That's what most of our um, people chase and what most out-of-state hunters come here to enjoy. Uh, we do have some other uh, upland game birds that you would hunt with uh, bird dogs. There's pretty good quail numbers in southern Iowa, southwest Iowa, maybe not what there was you know, 20 years ago, but huntable numbers. So we do make a few trips down that direction to chase quail. Uh, there's nothing like hunting quail with pointing dogs. So we make sure that we get into the covey birds every year. And then lately, the Hungarian partridges, which we call huns, their numbers have been rising very quickly. Uh, I'm seeing huns here in places that I haven't in the past 10 years. And so they are also available to hunt, but in my experience, they're pretty hard to target uh, because they like really short cut fields and cut grass. So in Iowa, you're just kind of lucky when you come across some when they get up. So it's more of a chance than being able to target those birds. Rose, I'm curious too. I just got back from a Colorado bear hunt and that was like my first out of state hunt. And so that was kind of a big hurdle for me to just, you know, go through the application process. Um, I'm curious, you know, what was it like for you diving into some of these other states? You said you enjoy the Wisconsin area. You bounce over to Nebraska sometimes. Was that a big hurdle or was it something that just came naturally as you and Brady explored? I think it was a big hurdle for me to go out on my own, especially in such rural areas. Western Nebraska is a different animal. In Iowa, we've got a road every mile. So if something happens, I don't know, you could probably carry your dog out and make it back to the truck. Uh, when we're out in Nebraska, we might be, I don't know, five miles from the truck in the middle of the day sitting down by a water tank to have lunch. Uh, so that was a little intimidating, just being sure that I could take care of the dogs, keep them cool when it's hot and get them back to the truck safely. But I did do the, my first trip out there was all on my own. Steep learning curve for the habitat that the birds <laughs> got. I think we walked 40 miles before I shot, shot my first sharp tail. Um, that means the dogs probably did 150 or more. So it was a steep learning curve, but once we figured it out, it all worked out very well. And I bring people with me sometimes now, but it's usually just one other person, pretty small groups and like to share the landscape with others, but uh, we're not hunting in big parties or anything like that. I'm lucky in Wisconsin, the bird dog community is something else. People love to help each other meet new people and you you get connected with people all over the world through these dogs. I met a gentleman and his wife from um, Massachusetts and they drive out here every year to hunt in northern Wisconsin. So he showed me the Northwoods and what trees to look for, for habitat. And that really gave me a head start up there on looking for the birds, but they're tough. You know, the, the critters win most of the time, but that's mm -hmm. okay. That's not why we do it. Yeah. Fair chase, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a whoop whoop shout out to Massachusetts. Turns out they're actually from my hometown, which is even cooler <laughs> to the story, in my humble opinion. So, <laughs> so Rose, you're, you're traveling all over the U.S. now, and you said that you're kind of keep it to a small hunting party you know whether it's a couple friends or just one other person and, and your dogs are you hunting private or public land out of state it's almost always public just because i don't have the private land connections um and it can be tough but i think once you learn the landscape there's to be had good public land in the states that i've been to 
Uh, Northern Wisconsin, the Shawamigan National Forest is 1.5 million acres. So the opportunity is there. You just have to get up there and take advantage of it. Locally, I do hunt some private or mostly around my house because it's so convenient to be in my backyard. But we do hunt a decent amount of public and we do have success even into the last week of the season. So I know that some people shy away from public land because they think it gets hit a lot. Um, and that's true, but we've come in right behind another hunting party and harvested birds. So if you don't try, you don't know. I shot a turkey on the second to last day of season this year in our most heavily pressured wildlife management area in the state. It was May and went out there and it was a rainy day. Nobody else was out there and two toms walked right into the decoys. So it doesn't always work out that way. I don't want to fool anybody, but there are opportunities and uh, you just got to get out there and use our public lands. They belong to us. I imagine with using a lot of public land, you're doing a lot of scouting before you go. So before you're driving all the way to Wisconsin, I I imagine you're looking at maps or maybe electronic resources. Can you share a little bit um, with our listeners on like what that process looks like? You bet. The e-scouting has come such a long way. Um, I do use Onyx maps quite a bit. There are some other map mapping products that talk about, especially in Wisconsin, you're really looking in Minnesota too. You're really looking at the age of the timber cuts. So we're de- um, not only what public land we can hunt, but what the condition of is, of it is and what species are out there. So that's really useful up there. Um, I don't always scout. Sometimes I drive by and I see a spot that looks really good and we'll park and um, run dogs for a little bit. I do always drop a pin uh, and then leave myself a note about what we found and whether it was good or not, because my memory is not good enough to remember what I did say three years ago in Iowa too I often look for the walk-in properties which are private land that are available for public hunting Um, and we've been really successful on those that's a great tip with just dropping a a, you know a waypoint or even on your google map just putting a a save the spot so that you know next time maybe when you're driving that road you're like "Ooh, let's check that out again so you don't forget because Gosh, I feel like I drive the same roads and can't remember what I saw an hour ago, let alone a year or two ago. So. Right. Well, even just what crops are in the field at that time, because they may rotate, they may change and just kind of getting to know that pattern a little bit more, too. I could see being hugely helpful. Little simplest little things that you don't think about. Like we put a drop point where we park our car, but why not put a drop point where you had a successful, you found a successful uh, habitat spot? Not only that, but when hunting the covey birds, I actually drop pins every time I flush a covey. Um, So this is like world-class tip right here. They're usually there the next year and the year after. So I don't like to keep hunting the same property all the time, but if I have a dog that needs some bird contact, I can bring that map out and say, okay, a year ago, you know, we had a big covey of Sharpies in this bowl and I'll take that puppy out and give give them a chance so we try not to beat up on the birds by using that to their disadvantage um but knowing that uh, helps helps with the dog training certainly that is a good point to bring up that you certainly don't use those points to put too much pressure on that 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 area but rather you're you're just you kind of have an idea but then be mindful obviously the fair chase and in the uh you know in addition to working and hunting 
if you have any time in addition to that. You really had talked about that, that point of conservation really brought you into this role that you're in right now. And it sounds like you're pretty connected to the conservation even within at home in your personal life. Uh, can you tell your listeners about your passion, you know, as far as expand on Pheasants Forever, uh, expand on your county conservation board? What else are you doing in your, your time? Locally, I serve as the president of our Pheasants Forever chapter in Iowa County. Um, this is a pretty rural county, but we were able to build this chapter up from scratch over the last I'm going to say 12 years. I didn't do the math on that, but it's been a little bit of time. Um, the chapter had actually closed and we restarted it. Um, actually had a negative balance in our bank account for a little while while we were trying to figure out how to do some fundraisers. Um, but the reason that I spend so much time volunteering for that organization is because it allows us to spend the money we raise here locally. And so I have the ability to fund youth hunts, learn to hunt events for women, um, habitat work on our public land. And we've been able to do all kinds of really special stuff here. We helped the, um, prior to me working for DNR, we helped the DNR wildlife biologist purchase a forestry mower to help keep some of the brush out of our prairie grounds. Um, do a lot of outreach and learn to hunt events, learn to shoot events, stuff like that. So it allows us to raise money locally and then also invest it in the people and the land here. The other one you mentioned, the County Conservation Board System. Iowa is special in that we have a local um, county level conservation organization. It's a government organization in each county. So we have 99 county conservation boards in Iowa. And those usually manage local um, public land, parks, and wildlife areas. They usually employ a naturalist to do environmental ed in the schools and for the public. Um, and some counties that have a I don't know, more urban population may have a lot of folks on staff and some counties may just have a few, but they're a wonderful resource uh, to learn more about wildlife conservation. Um, and they do a really good job. Like I said, I was kind of brought up in the county conservation board system with Story County. So they do a really good job recruiting employees to work in this field later on. Well, like Julia mentioned, Rose, your calendar sounds like it stays full. Like, I mean, very full. Um, and I'm curious, you know, we're all colleagues in these roles and it gets hard sometimes. It can be really demanding. There are things about this field that can break your heart. And I'm just curious, how do you keep that fire and that passion alive? I think knowing that with one missing link in my story, that this could all be different for me is really kind of stands out and is important. So, you know, if my boss hadn't taken me duck hunting or if I hadn't found the mentored hunt in Illinois, any of those little pieces, if I hadn't been given the bird dog, um, my life would look completely different. So I care about providing those opportunities to others so they have a chance to connect with the land, um, dogs especially, and, uh, you know, learn more about our critters out there because it doesn't matter what your interest is. If it's not bird dogs, it could be, I don't know, insects. You know, I, we were just talking this weekend about a gal I met. She's a retired postmaster that has learned absolutely everything about insects. And going for a walk with her is like being with, you know, the foremost insect expert in the world. And this is a second career to her that she's doing for fun. And that's just so cool that if we put our mind to it, we can do anything. 
I love that. And what a good message too. Like there was just so many small little things that fell into place to bring you where you are. And so anything we can do in this community to be that for someone else, to draw those connections. I so appreciate you dedicating yourself to that Rose. And I know you're making a huge impact. Thank you. Rose, what advice do you have for other women interested in pursuing a career in natural resources? Basing it off my history, I would not be hesitant to take a job, even if you don't think it's the perfect fit. When I saw that I was going to be spraying weeds all summer, I thought that doesn't sound like much fun, does it? But I needed a job. Uh, But that ended up opening the doors to so many things. I learned how to harvest prairie on a combine, uh, learned about all the different plants, all the different plants, um, different seed mixes, you know, how to control invasive species. And that just opened a whole new door for me. So I wouldn't be afraid to take a job, even if it doesn't seem like it's quite what you're after in the end. We've got to put all those skills together to end up where we're supposed to be. Um, And then for those of you in Iowa, that county conservation board system is really special. Uh, We have a lot of counties that hire temporary roles that you can get your foot in the door. Um, DNR also has some, we hire water patrol folks over the summer. Um, Rachel can probably speak to some of the other opportunities within our agency um, in our parks fisheries, et cetera. So you can really chase your interest. You'll end up where you're supposed to be. I definitely encourage you to preach that story and to share it and and for our listeners to hear that. I have a position out there right now and it's a part-time position. It's 11 month position. And the candidate that we felt would be really good for the position denied it because it was only 11 months. And listeners, if you are wanting to go into this role, even if it's a six month position, and it's something very similar to what you're looking into, or even remotely similar, jump in on that. You know, we all have, I'm guessing Iowa and Kansas are the same, same situations as you have temporary positions. And that's how a lot of our full-time biologists start, uh, short-term positions, because you're going to learn a lot. And it's a, it's a resume builder. And then that's where you can expand and move into those full-time positions. Yeah, I was just going to piggyback that through the summer, I mean, our temporary and part-time staff are really the backbone of what we do. We have so many visitors to our parks, to our waters, to our wildlife areas that we, as full-time staff, just can't handle it. So listeners, I highly recommend if you live in any of our states to check out those offerings because that really is the gateway into this world. And here in Iowa, we are so lucky with the County Conservation Board system that just amplifies what we as the DNR can do and just grows those career and job opportunities also. So yeah, we, we certainly are everything from the water patrol officer to the park staff, to the maintenance crew, to the wildlife folks, to the fisheries techs, you know, you name it, there's probably a spot and a six month position or a temporary position open and looking for your resume. Rachel, I couldn't agree more. And and Rose, I'm so glad for all the perspective that you bring to this job, even coming up from that, you know, untraditional pathway. Don't ever let that discourage you folks. Just because you don't have a master's degree in biology, you have valuable perspective. You interact with the outdoors. It is so important. And Rose, I'm really, really thrilled that we got a chance to chat today. It's awesome to get to know you a little better. I hope I see you at some future meetings and hopefully we can hunt some pheasants together sometime. I would really love that. I haven't hunted behind dogs all that much. And so it would be really, really fun to learn from you. That sounds wonderful. You're welcome anytime. Thank you, ma'am. Rose, before we close, any last thoughts for our listeners? Anything you want to share? 
I don't think you have to know everything to get started in this field. We, let me back up. You don't have to know anything to get started in this field. You know, we talked about walking behind the dogs with an unloaded firearm um, to get yourself comfortable, but you don't even need that. Um, if you have a good pair of boots, go for a walk, look, see what the birds are doing. If you're interested in deer hunting, go take a pair of binoculars and watch what the deer are doing. Um, it's baby steps, you know, to where I am. Um, I took a lot of baby steps and a lot of steps back, but I think as women, a lot of the times we think we need to know or have all the pieces to put it together. And that's just not the truth. If you go out to the outdoors, enjoy every step of the way. And I'm still learning every day that I go out, get outside, have fun and get yourself a bird dog. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. Get outside and get yourself a bird dog. And, and like all bird dog enthusiasts, Rose, I can't end this podcast without knowing what is your breed of choice. You have to, you have to get on that soapbox and <laughs> preach for a minute. Yeah, um, I've ha- I do a dog foster, so I've had a lot of breeds come through my house, um, and people keep thinking that I'll change because people are usually pretty loyal to their first dog. But short hairs, uh, German short hair pointers, are so versatile. Um, I just absolutely love them. They are good family dogs, um, good dogs in the house, and then some of these bloodlines can just absolutely rock it out in the field. Four short hairs, and I think. I may add some variety someday, but I think I'm I'm sold on the breed. All right, thanks. Uh, like all good upland hunters, you you have to take one stand, and so we appreciate you uh, you throwing it out to us, uh, Julia Tana. Before I wrap up, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Nothing here. It's been a great chat. I'm uh, I'm interested to do some more research about bird dogs, and I like that you are considering the family aspect as well as the technical hunting aspect. So I'm excited to look into that more, and I'm glad I've got a resource now, Rose. Thank you, Rose, for the conversation and sharing your wealth of knowledge, uh, and and being the motivator, and just motivating and empowering women or anyone listening to this to to you know find something, start. Start at that bottom, start at the bottom of the barrel and and start adding into your barrel as little pieces at a time, little droplets of water at a time and and be proud of each droplet that you you add to that barrel. And I'm also looking forward to this upland game hunt that uh, Tana, Rachel and Rose (laughs) and I are going to go on. Exciting. (laughs) Yeah, Rose, if you're the person that finally brings us all together after we've been trying to plan an in-person meeting with all of us for <laughs> years. I'll take that ground. Let's there you it. go. <laughs> um, listeners, as we close, I just want to put out there, if you uh, if you have the opportunity to get to the Iowa County Cousins Forever um, Women's Hunt whether it's this year or next year or the following year, uh, this is the the voice that will be leading it. So um, I encourage you to get to that hunt, um, grow your mentors and just experience the passion in person. But um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, um, like, subscribe, share this podcast. It's for you. Um, please send us your thoughts, your ideas, who you want to hear from, because uh, with Without your support, we wouldn't be here. And we just appreciate what you're doing out there in the world of conservation. Rose, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, After a crazy busy weekend, we appreciate this early Monday morning recording. Um, And listeners, 
as always, until next time, see you outdoors. <laughs>